Hey everyone, welcome to episode 133 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Kerry Nixon, the co-founder and managing partner at Nixon Wilt Law. Let's not waste any time. Let's bring her on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. We've had a couple conversations and it's great to, to finally have you on the podcast. Uh, I, I think we should start right out of the gate. If you could tell the audience a little bit about your background, I'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I am the managing partner of Nixon Gwilt Law, and we have sort of the distinguishing characteristic of being the only law firm that I know of that focuses exclusively on healthcare innovation. And um, that usually falls into sort of clients of one of three categories. And sometimes those clients fit in, in more than one of the categories. The first is innovative healthcare providers. Maybe they are creating a new payment and delivery model. Maybe they are forming a new type of networked arrangement. Maybe they are you know, forming a new business, business model arrangement. And uh, so we, we help folks through that on, on uh, the entire spectrum of care. The second category is digital health companies, and that encompasses uh, remote patient monitoring companies. We serve a lot of those. Uh, telehealth companies, healthcare predictive analytic companies, anything, anyone that has a mobile health app, that type of thing. And then the last category is life sciences and med tech. And you know, that, that sort of speaks for itself. But the interesting thing is that we're starting to see a lot of sort of bleed through and, and, and overlap between these, among these three categories. And so, um, you know, in our minds, those are the folks in the healthcare industry who are doing some really innovative things and we are focused on healthcare innovation. So, um, so that's where we are. Our workforce is scattered around the country. We have always been a remote workforce. Um, I like to say we were Zoom before Zoom was cool. We definitely were early adopters of Zoom. I think we were like even in their beta group. And so, uh, you know, the shift to remote work was not a real change for us. We were very fortunate in not having to navigate that as a change. Um, but, you know, we are intentionally uh, remote. Our clients are all over the country as well. Uh, they usually don't mind meeting in person, not meeting in person, although certainly, um, pre-COVID, we would meet with them uh, anytime the opportunity arose, maybe at a conference or uh, I'm actually located just outside of Washington, DC, where there are lots of reasons um, for various companies and, and people in the healthcare industry to come swing by. So it was really, uh, you know, it's, it's, a good it's a good place to be, to meet up with clients and to be able to interact with policymakers and uh, trade associations and things like that. Yeah, I always tell people, as long as you're near a major airport still, remote structure is is perfect. And I, I was all about remote e as well, right? Even before the pandemic, it, it makes sense. I think I think we'll go more towards, uh, you'll see it, like the industry, healthcare in, in general too, more of a hybrid model where mm -hmm. uh, digital health, it, maybe not, I, I would say with the exception of like pharmaceutical companies and life sciences, I feel like they really do need that office uh, space. Right. But right. um, yeah, as long as you're near a major airport and you can meet up with people, that's that's the way of uh, the future for sure. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I started my career in um, a large law firm in Washington, D.C., um, you know, much, much more traditional, right? Big office space, um, you know, right downtown, uh, certainly went in every day, um, you know, met with some clients by phone, but some in person, that type of thing. Um, and that's, that's great. There's a lot to be said for that. But when I started um, to create my own law firm, I really wanted to find a way to reduce overhead so that we could serve clients who were early stage um, at a price point that worked for them. And, you know, by virtue of the fact that we focus on health, healthcare innovation, a lot of our clients are early stage or growth stage companies. And so it is difficult for them to afford the thousand dollars an hour that a lot of large firms um, charge. And that's not good for, for anyone, right? Um, we want early stage companies to come to us as soon as possible because healthcare is such a highly regulated industry that, you know, things that are perfectly normal and acceptable in the general commercial business world can be illegal in healthcare, right? And, and you can unknowingly step into something that you didn't mean to and then create a situation where you've got to, you're faced with undoing some things um, that you would have been better off sort of, you know, talking with someone with healthcare expertise beforehand and, and not sort of getting into that trouble. Yeah, I mean, the, the common in non-healthcare industries, it's always, you know, move fast, break things. You can't really do that in healthcare or you can, but you need the guidance of, of like your firm, right. To be confident that you can move forward without doing something illegal. Right. Cause there's so many things that you could do that are illegal that you don't even know that are illegal. Exactly. Exactly. The important thing is really to understand the risk profile, right. And of what you're doing and, and the risk tolerance, because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, many of the laws and the regulations in the healthcare industry have simply not kept up with the pace of innovation. And so, you know, laws that have been in place for years have not even contemplated some of the things that, that currently exist, right? Technologies and uh, digital therapeutics and things that, that just weren't even envisioned at the time these laws and regulations were created. So telehealth is a great example of this, right? Uh, Medicare started allowing for reimbursement of telehealth in 1997. Um, that was the last time that telehealth was addressed statutorily. At that time in 1997, the real vision for telehealth was that someone in a rural area needed to be connected to a specialist in a city, right? So. That's why when the law was first passed, a patient had to be at something like a rural health clinic when they were receiving telehealth and the rural health clinic would dial into the specialist in the city, right? And the reason that the law was created that way was because really the technology at that point was not such that every, you know, many people had access to broadband and there could be easy connectivity from the home. Here we were today, right, with the pandemic, and that law had not changed. And 
the technology had certainly changed, right? You and I are talking by Zoom right now, you know, seamlessly with no problem. And it's not hard for a doctor to talk to a patient in their home, but the current law and regulatory infrastructure didn't allow for that. Fortunately, during COVID, you know, CMS was able to waive some of the um, legislative barriers that were in place. Um, and, and we were able to get telehealth now into the mainstream. So this is an example of where a crisis actually forced the hand, it forced um, some changes to be made that would allow telehealth and, and also things like remote patient monitoring to be um, more accessible and to be reimbursed and therefore to be out there in the general public. Yeah, I would say that's one of the, I guess, sad points of healthcare that it took a pandemic to yeah. truly move the needle of innovation, right? Yeah. Um, it, but so, you know, it, obviously a lot of bad came from it, but there, there also was a lot of good that came from the pandemic. And it, and it feels weird saying that, but it's true, right? There's absolutely, I absolutely view it as a silver lining. I think that the pandemic has provided um, a real opportunity and a turning point for digital health and life sciences innovation that frankly would not have existed without it. Now, we prefer not to have had the pandemic, obviously, but we have, and now people are understanding the fact that not keeping laws and regulations in pace with innovation it's actually a national security issue, right? I mean, this is this is something that you know, lack of lack of access to healthcare during a pandemic is a, is a national security issue, and so you know, people now have that understanding, and they're looking at the provision of healthcare through that lens, and they're also seeing what can actually be accomplished. Because I'll tell you, you know, doing things like um, changing the telehealth laws, there's been a push for that for a long time. And everyone thought, oh, we can't make the change that quickly. And we saw how we, when forced to, we can make it happen. We can absolutely make it happen much more quickly. I think we just packed, you know, four years of um, legislation and regulatory action into a month and a half. Yeah. And, and what you're seeing is a lot of new companies in the in the digital health and life sciences mm -hmm. space that are starting to pop up. Uh, it, it definitely created this, uh, I guess, innovation engine, which when you look back in history to you know, trying times like we're experiencing with this pandemic have been some of the most innovation filled uh, like time periods. And uh, right. this, this is no exception. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just, it just rat, uh, ratchets up the pressure, right? Um, I think human nature is when faced with a problem to, to work to try to solve it. And when it's a big problem, you work to solve it really quickly. And that's what we've seen the healthcare industry do, right? We, um, we worked with a number of clients that um, were applying for emergency use authorization in some way, shape or form through the FDA. Um, there just have been some really, um, amazing pushes. Um, you know, we had a bunch of remote patient monitoring companies that pivoted to say, Hey, you know what, our, our technology and our devices can, can really be put to good use for patients who may have been exposed to COVID and we're not sure, um, whether they're having symptoms or for patients who have COVID and we need to monitor them to decide 
um, when, if and when they actually need to go to the hospital. Um, it really speaks highly of, you know, founders and innovators to be able to pivot and shift direction quickly, um, you know, when the situation calls for it. It's something I love working about, you know, it's something I love about working with innovators, frankly. Yeah, and, and, and for anyone that's, that doesn't end up watching and just listens, I suggest you go in and watch the video as well because your eyes light up whenever you talk about anything regard like this this whole conversation whenever you're talking about you know what your law firm does and healthcare innovation and the and the change in regulations and that would be enough for me to like want to work with you or engage with you in any way because it's it's one of my favorite things is you know, you don't work with someone because of what they do. You work like why, why they're working on something. And I can tell you have a strong why. And uh, if you're not passionate about it or about whatever you're doing, I don't want to work with anyone that's not, you know, passionate. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it shows. I do uh, love what I do. And I feel so fortunate to be able to, you know, work with, um, with people and with companies and with provider entities that are working so hard to make a difference, right? Anything that I can do to help move the needle to, to bring these innovations to people in our country who desperately you know, need them. Um, I love it. I love being a part of that. If a company, an early stage company or an existing company wants to learn more about you and the services that your law firm currently offers, where can they find out more? So you can certainly go to our website. It's Nixon, N-I-X-O-N, Gwilt, G-W-I-L-T. My partner's Rebecca Gwilt, law, L-A-W.com. We also have a YouTube channel that sort of introduces our firm to people who may be interested. Um, there's, a, there's a video up there uh, that, that talks a little bit about what we do. Um, I believe that that channel is Nixon Gwilt Law as well. Uh, we have a social media presence on LinkedIn and Facebook and on Twitter, LinkedIn in particular. Um, and, you know, always certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, you can connect with me directly by email too, or, or through our website. Happy to talk with anyone. Perfect. And I'm going to show, uh, put up some uh, in the show notes, your social media links and your website link, as well as YouTube so that uh, the audience can, can find you. But uh, and just so the audience knows, this is really your intro episode. The goal is to create more content together to cover different areas, maybe even put together some roundtable discussions where uh, we bring on other people um, in the industry and we kind of talk mm -hmm. about some of the pressing issues regarding healthcare and, and regulation. I would love that. Really looking forward to continuing to work together. Yeah, likewise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on a episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Hey everyone, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is building the ecosystem of services and solutions to power the future of healthcare. Through their platform, healthcare professionals and organizations can enter, upload, and share core credentialing documents and information. Professionals and organizations then have the opportunity to use that information to order multiple services and solutions like credentialing, state license registration, certifications, payer enrollment, renewals, and more. On average, the BlockHealth platform saves users 40 to 60% on credentialing and licensing related costs. 
Organizations can use Block Health as an extension of their team or as their whole licensing and credentialing team. Today, Block Health works with some of the top healthcare organizations. To learn more about Block Health, please visit www.blockhealth.com. That's B L O C H E A L T H.com and follow them on their social channels at Block Health. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.